Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Only Stupid Answers. Uh, this is the show where Roxy and I answer your questions about movies, TV shows, comic books, and everything else we like to talk about. Uh, with me, as always, is the amazing Roxy Stryer. What was it? The rocking, rock, rock and Roxy Stryer? The rebellious Roxy Stryer? I don't know. Rebellious. What we, rebellious. That's what it was. Ha ha ha. How you doing, Roxy? Um, you know, uh, I get it how I live it. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that was pretty clear um, of a response. So I don't think I need to elaborate on that. Why would you? Let's, we'll leave it. We, we leave it to you. This is our expression is our art. It's up to the audience yeah. to interpret. For those of you in the back, I, in case you couldn't hear me, I get it how I live it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boom. Yeah. We will be talking about what we were into. And then uh, this week's topic will be um, uh, movie theatrical experiences based off of um, Roxy. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, snippets of this conversation had made it into the, the our circles or whatever. But um, Edgar Wright was hosting a podcast for Empire Magazine talking about, um, I guess he was like the editor of the month or something. And he was doing a special on like a theater experiences in movie theater. And um, Quentin Tarantino joined him for a three-hour-long podcast discussion uh, about this, <clears throat> and uh, and of course I li- of course I'm, I of course I was going to listen to that. Uh, you listened to all three hours? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I listen. I listen. I tend to listen to my podcast when I'm walking the dog. Two uh, times speed or regular? Regular. Ooh, I don't do the two times speed. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh, wow. I don't like it. Um, your, your dedication to the craft is beautiful, DJ. Thank you, thank you. So, but it was an interesting conversation. We'll talk even that more. That's that's what we're going to be talking about. We've got some of your thoughts on the Discord about uh, uh, movie theater experiences um, you have. Um, but uh, obviously, we've got a ton of stuff to dive into uh, for the full discussion. Of course, you're going to want to watch that on or listen to that at Patreon.com/slash/OnlyStupidAnswers. Um, Roxy and I every week have a long, a two-hour-long extra bonus super episode that then gets um, edited down to be our normal podcast episode. But if you want the full discussion, that's at Patreon.com/slash/OnlyStupidAnswers. Now, an hour, two hours. Am I Edgar Wright or am I Tarantino? And who are you? Okay, well, let's. If I'm going to break it down for listening to it, um, uh, Tarantino makes a comment earlier on that, like, you know, Edgar Wright talks to everybody. He's got like a hundred friends. I only talk to like five people, and you, and in the conversation, you can you, you can see that 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 um, uh, how do I phrase it? Edgar Wright is probably the more uh, socially gregarious um, of the two of them. You know what I mean? Like with Tarantino. It, he loves movies. He lives. He breathes movies, uh, and and so your Tarantino. Yeah. So I'm not. Yeah. Now, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm just saying uh, of the two of us, uh, if I'm thinking about who I'd prob- probably rather hang out with, it's you. And so you would be the Edgar Wright in this situation. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. So I'll take it. So I'd I'm say Edgar Wright. I'd say Edgar Wright. Um, anyway, let's segue into what we're into this. What, what? week roxy what are you getting into this week i've been waiting my whole life to talk to you about this (laughs) listen i i've told you a little bit about free britney yes we've talked a little bit about free britney i have been on the free britney bandwagon for a long time now um but for anybody who forgets britney spears is in a 13 year long conservatorship where her father jamie spears 
has complete control over every area of her life, from her finances to her contracts, to when she sees her kids, to who she dates, to which jobs she is able to take, to where she lives, to where her money goes. Every single area, that is what her conservatorship is. Gross. Um, And there was a documentary that came out. You can watch it on Hulu. It was in partnership with FX and the New York Times series. New York Times has been doing these docs that are about 90 minutes long, where it's New York Times Presents, and then this one is called Framing Britney Spears. I think it's like their sixth episode of it. So New York Times Presents Framing Britney Spears aired last week, um, and it really, really brought a lot of eyes and ears to the free Britney movement. Why they didn't just call it free Britney Spears. I don't know Um, the framing thing. I think they got a little artsy with that, but (laughs) in general, this I think went from being something that the diehard Britney people were talking about to something that a lot of different circles were talking about. DJ, I'm sure that this isn't probably your main circle, but were did this come across your radar at all? Was framing Britney Spears even on the radar? Yeah, there was a lot of um, um, you know, obviously I saw it when I when I opened up Hulu, and I've seen a lot of articles about it. Um, a lot of people talking about what you're talking about, how how this has expanded the conversation, and a lot of stuff specifically uh, targeted at Justin Timberlake and how he's yeah. represented in the doc. Yeah, there's a lot at, at Justin Timberlake and at Diane Sawyer. Um, there has been conversation about that from the doc. So honestly, I, I really enjoyed this doc. A lot of the information I had because I am such a a diehard supporter. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many theories that go into this. The main one being that a lot of people think that Britney Spears is behind the making of this doc. Interesting. So, um, she has this thing that she's been promoting for a long time called, um, Project Rose. Mm Mm-hmm. And Project Rose, no idea what it is. She talks about it on her Instagram a little bit. It's coming, it's coming. And in this doc, all of the interviews that are done are done in front of this wall of roses. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the doc, it's a video of Britney Spears. And she's in the bathtub. And you just kind of see her legs in her hand. And she's holding a rose in her hand. And she starts rubbing the rose. And it turns into soap. Mm-hmm. And she says something like, see, it wasn't even a rose at all. Okay. Or whatever, or whatever it is. So, the uh, one of the theories is that Britney is actually giving clearance on this stock. Another reason for that theory is because they were able to interview a woman named Felicia, who was Britney's uh, assistant for ever since mm-hmm. she was a little kid, and that they believe that she would not have done that had she not had been given Britney's permission. Mm-hmm. So. That's part of the theory. I don't know that I subscribe to that theory. I think that they're just some people who really wanted to help out Britney Spears and help her story are the ones who um, put out this doc. The other thing is that there was supposed to be a trial in February about this conservatorship. That trial was moved to September. And so kind of strange and random timing on this doc uh, to try to get the public behind her. And then like now there's going to be months. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think that the doc did a really, really great job of bringing a few things to light that really hit home for a lot of people. Number one, really explaining that the only person who suffers from this conservatorship is Brittany, because remind remembering that when you are in a conservatorship, Brittany is paying for her lawyers. Yeah. Brittany's paying for her dad and Brittany's paying for her dad's lawyers. Oh my God. And so, so the longer this goes on, everyone is making money everyone from Britney. 
Mm-hmm. So it's hard to get people who genuinely have her best interest when they're all making money from her, both sides, every person. So the doc did a really good job of explaining that because that gives you enough to just question anybody's motive. When you hear that, like she is bankrolling every minute she fights, she has to pay for and then pay for somebody to fight against her. And that is like, um, that, I mean, that is, we, we F that up in this system. Mm-hmm. That should not, that should never be the case. That's just like, woof. Um, so it does a great job with that. It also does a really great job of going through her past and talking about the extreme sexism involved in Britney Spears's like decline. Yeah. Um, and we see that through people like Diane and Justin Timberlake. Uh, also, DJ, stop me if I'm getting too woo-woo on you with my Britney stuff. No, you you're fine. Talked her for a long time. Mm-hmm. This is mostly for people who didn't watch the doc, yeah. who just kind of want to know like what's going on, or for people who did watch it and just want to keep continuing the conversation. So Britney... Um, you know, with Justin Timberlake, they showed that like Justin Timberlake put out stories saying that Britney had been unfaithful at this time. Britney came from like a 700 person town. Britney was like, so, so famous so quickly. Yeah. Um, Britney was claiming uh, to be a virgin and, you know, she was, she was very, very religious, grew up in a very religious family. And Justin essentially accused her of cheating on him, which we don't know whether that's true or not. And um, then outed her saying that he had been having sex with her on just completely publicly. And every interview is like people being like, Justin, you dog. And every interview is people being like, Brittany, the juxtaposition of you trying to be this innocent person while having sexual intercourse. Um, And then there's that Diane Sawyer moment where she turns to her and goes, Justin is very upset with you. What did you do? (laughs) And there's no question about what Justin did. And on all Britney says is, you know, there's two sides to every story. And um, I'll always love him and have a, a lot of respect for him. And she's just very sweet about it. She never says one bad thing about him. Yeah. She just, and um, it just was like at that time period, Matt Lauer, too. There's a lot of people going after her. And she just was very, always very, very sweet. She, in most interviews, she just sits there, she cries, and she's just very, very sweet. And, like, we completely destroyed her. And then, um, you know, the conservatorship comes, and the cause for it is uh, dementia. Which is, I don't know where they even got that from. Yeah. And they claim that there are sealed docks that people can't see. So we don't know what we don't know. And that those docs are the reason why. But they won't show anything. It is strange that we have a system where you can have a dad be like, no, I own my daughter. I just own 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 it. It It feels like archaic you know what i mean it feels like like medieval you know what i mean like mm, my daughter's acting up so she gets to be uh, my property from here on to eternity <laughs> yeah and and that has been the case dj for 13 years so you where, said that at the beginning that it's a 13 year long that it, 13 to this point but still ongoing point. yeah still okay. ongoing just we've been in this conservatorship for 13 years and there's no signs of it stopping 
And what Brittany has asked is that if she's going to be in a conservatorship, she just wants somebody else in charge. She doesn't want it to be her dad. Yeah, that seems fair. And they will not they will not let that happen as of now. Well, you can't um, let it be your sister because she keeps running over cats. And so who knows what else yeah. she, she's yeah. up to. Um, so is there is is there anything that can be done at this point, at this juncture? What was challenging for me about the doc, and one of the things I don't think that they hit home very well, was any kind of call to action. Yeah. Like I said, I think initially they were putting this out in February because they, that was when the por- court of public opinion was going to matter. Yeah. But then it's not. So there, you know, there's not many ways to support. Um, what I've been talking about is just in two different ways. Number one, spreading the word so that people know what's happening. Yeah. Because most people don't know what's happening with Britney Spears. And like, there's just no what at the end of the day, if she was a dude, there's no way this happens. So yeah. like, I don't know how to explain it more clearly than that, that like, like you just said, this is about a father owning his daughter, yeah, owning her. And, and I'm not sitting here arguing that Britney Spears would make all the right choices with her own money. I'm just arguing that that's what freedom is yeah. to make the wrong choices with your money. Yeah. Because, because that's what life is. And we might not like what she does with it, but like, we can't just stop anybody who we don't like the, what choices they make from making those choices. Um, And so just talking about that and talking about uh, how she cannot see her children without her father's permission. She cannot date somebody until he signs off on it. She cannot, she cannot not show up for work because he has signed a contract and picks jobs for her Um, from when we see her on TV to her Vegas residency. uh, And if, if she doesn't show up to the jobs he's selected for her, she is sued. Hmm. So the, all of these things. So bringing awareness. Um, and then the other part of this is that she is not the only person in our country who's under a conservatorship that is not legitimate. Yeah. So, you know, looking into conservatorships in general and trying to figure out how do we protect the conservators, the people yeah. who are, or conservatees, hmm. how do we make sure? Because, Think about this is happening with Britney Spears, but like there's a lot of elderly people. There's a lot of people who are put in these conservatorships who get boned. Yeah. Um, but I wish that there was some kind of like donate here, click on this link to spread awareness. But right, for right now, I think it's just about talking to your friends and sharing what's happening. And so when this does go back to trial, hopefully the world is so outraged and I know that there's other things to be outraged about. And I'm not yeah. sitting here saying that she has like the worst of it all. But I am saying that this for what we stand for here, the fact that for 13 years she has not been able to make one decision is, is just wrong. It's wrong. I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a pretty solid argument to be made that what we stand for here is white guys making the decisions for I, old white men making the decisions for everybody. <laughs> Uh, But let's not continue having that be the case. Um, Just before we wrap on this story, talking about an archaic thing on its own archaic terms, not saying that this is the best situation, but I'm wondering if if she got married, would it stop? She's dating. No, she's dating this other guy, Sam, right now, who her father must have signed off on. He's not even mentioned in the doc, which is so strange. Um, But no. Cool. (laughs) <laughs> cool yeah um hmm. well yeah. yeah apparently i will say that about an hour ago 
um, for the first time, Justin Timberlake did address this mm-hmm. and he apologized not only to Britney Spears, but Janet Jackson. People have been waiting for an apology from Justin to Janet for years yeah. um, post Super Bowl. And he said, I'm deeply sorry for the times of my life where my actions contributed to the problem where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. Um, this is on his Instagram um, because he's he's receiving extreme backlash. Good. And, and he should be receiving extreme backlash. But I will say that, uh, you know, at that time, it was everybody. Yeah. Like it was everybody. So I'm I'm glad that he apologized. I hear not such nice things about him in general. Yes. Um, Agreed. And also I think back to, wasn't that that story when he got married to Jessica Biel, they had a video at their wedding that like exploited homeless people. So I don't even know. Yeah. I think (laughs) his like best man shot a video with homeless people that he thought would be funny, but it was just like, you were exploiting homeless people for your wealthy funny part. I guess that they were homeless and that they don't get to go to a very, yeah, it's great. And so, um, yeah, fuck Justin Timberlake is, is my general opinion. I don't know the guy, but just the general feeling I have when I think about him. (laughs) Because he has a lot of, there's a lot of hatred, um, in his heart clearly. And like, what I will say about Britney is for all the wrongs that she did, you know, for all the crazy things like yeah. shaving her head or whatever. God forbid she shaves her head. Shave her head. I know. For all that, she was such an and is such an idol and icon for in the LGBTQIA community, um, for women. For she we've never heard her say something transphobic, homophobic, yeah. anti-Semitic, racist, sexist. Like she she for all of her flaws you know, like being a child star, she clearly does not have that, that problematic thing of like, I am the best. So other people are less than Mm -hmm. that. We don't see that from her. So like, if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna take a dump on people who are celebrities, she's kind of just not the one. She, she just seems like a sweet, troubled soul. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have hatred in her heart. And so I wish that, you know, when we talk about Justin Timberlake, like, why, why does he get to control all of it? Why does Kanye West control all of his stuff? Why is what, why all these people that we see and Britney shaved her head. So conservatorship, Michael Jackson dangled his baby over a, (laughs) over a balcony. I know, I know. And um, nothing happened. So it's just like, she, she, she cut her hair. Mm-hmm. She cut a haircut. Yeah. She shaved it. It's almost like her dad was waiting for an excuse. But anyway, um, let's move on to something a little bit more upbeat. Uh, let's talk about struggle meals. What What is this? Okay. So um, I do a radio show uh, in St. Louis every Monday morning where I call in and I talk about TV shows. Okay. I don't even I don't know how it happened. Um it's called the Carney show with Julie Buck. It is a blast. And for 15 minutes, every Monday, they let me talk about TV shows. So one of I, this has led me into watching some things that I probably never would have watched because the hosts of the show are definitely like double my age mm-hmm. and they're watching different things than I am. And sometimes they'll ask me like, have you checked out this thing? So the host of the show, Carney was raving about this. He said, have you tra- checked out struggle meals? And I was like, you make shit up. Like mm-hmm. there's no, I don't know what you guys are talking, what world are you guys, but you know, different location, different eight, like people watch different things. So he was like, just check it out, check it out. So I'd never heard of this show. I'm assuming DJ, you've never heard of no, this show. Not at because all. I don't know anybody who's ever heard of this show. It's on Hulu and it's a cooking show. 
But the premise is, it's this guy who reminds me so much of Koi Jandro. Like he mm-hmm. is, is so similar to Koi, just like so excited about every single thing. And he makes food for under $2 a plate, gourmet oh, food. Dang. And so he has this like, he goes around, he has this thing called like his packet drawer. And like, he'll go to restaurants and like take their ketchups and like put it in his packet drawer or take their sugars, like things that like come in packets. Mm-hmm. Um, like when he goes, he'll like order extra. So he has this drawer that's got like all different like, of those packets and then everything else he buys, but he does it. So everything's under $2 a plate and he makes like these incredible like tacos and pastas and whatever it is. It's just kind of wild to watch. I've never been a cooking show person, yeah. but this guy is so happy about what he's doing. And he's kind of like, it almost looks like he's in a nice dorm room, nice. but it's like nicer than that. And the food he makes is sick. Like, That's awesome. It looks incredible. And everything, the way he talks about it is super duper non-pretentious. So this be like, go to the packet drawer. <laughs> he opens up like seven ketchups and is like squeezing them in or whatever. I just highly recommend this if you're looking for something to put on in the background. That's fun. That is a non-pretentious guy who just likes to cook and to give you ideas about how you can do things kind of cheaply. You know, like he did a, an episode on brunch where he was like, um, uh, showing how to like carve out a potato and put the egg in it and like what to put on top and all of this stuff and making brunch for your friends for like everybody's under $2 their plate. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, we well, are spending so much money on brunch. I'm never getting brunch ever fucking again. Oh. But everything he does is so exciting. And I'm, I'm, I know this is not typically the kind of show I talk about here, but I just wanted to shed some light because I've never heard of this thing. And this dude like deserves a little bit of heat. Cool. in a good way that's awesome that's all that's that's yeah. fun i like the idea of making uh uh meals cheaply i'm also not like a cooking show person yes uh, yeah but that's mm-hmm. I, how many seasons are there i i don't know i've made it through several episodes so maybe like two or three so far i think it might still be ongoing i've literally never ever heard of this it was hard to find like i had to i mean when i type in struggle meals it didn't even pop up at first so um it, I don't know why it's buried, but he is, he's like our age. And he, I just like that he doesn't take it seriously at all. Yeah. Like I, I hate when I watch cooking shows and they're like, and now, and now, um, make sure that you, whatever words they, I don't even know what words that they're using, but he'll be like, okay, take out your masher 9,000 mm-hmm. and it will be a fork <laughs> and he'll just like start going to work with it. And he'll be like, mm-hmm, um, and grab your blender 280 and it will be a spoon and it'll just like mix really fast. Like everything he does is like shit that I had in my college dorm room. You know, yeah. like it's not like, and everything looks so good. Um, and yeah, he does all, he does all these things too. Like he'll hold it up to the camera. He'll be like, now you're going to get 1 million Instagram likes or whatever. And he's just silly and stupid. Like I, he just is like our, our friend. So I love it. I, I like watching him because I'm just like, wow, this is different. I wish that this was a bigger show. I think pretentious ass people are silly. <laughs> I, I, I try not to be pretentious about anything in life because like, what, what? Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So yeah. If you're looking for just somebody fun, and a, a cooking show struggle meals that's boom. what's up boom go yeah. check that out another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's dive into our main topic for today. So as I talked about at the top of the episode, uh, there is an Empire Magazine podcast uh, where, again, Edgar Wright, I guess, was their editor, the editor of the magazine for the month. And they did a piece because we're on lockdown. We can't go to theater. Is like theatrical experiences that you've had with a paying audience not just like a screening or whatever you've had with a paying audience that like solidify the magic of of that moment and it's Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino and one of the guys from Empire whose name unfortunately I can't remember I'm so sorry um and um of course I'm Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino so oh well I'm gonna listen I'm gonna listen to this I don't know if I care about the topic but I'm there's no way I'm not going to listen to it. And as they were talking about it, I I actually found it to be very interesting. Um, the, the kind of the perspective it took, because obviously I think we think a lot about like an Avengers or a Star Wars movie where the fans are hyped and they cheer and all that stuff. But they also talk about the way um, you, people might've heard about this story because Quentin Tarantino shared his thoughts on Joker, specifically the scene with Robert De Niro at the, um, in the interview. And, and he, he specifically said that like, if you only watch that movie at home, you didn't watch the movie because you needed to be with an audience of that scene. He compared it to like watching it at home is like getting a hand job, watching it that moment in the theater is like being part of a three way. You know, he used very, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, he, he, he explained it, uh, the way Quentin Tarantino would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought this would be a fun discussion to have with you because as I was I was hearing them talk about it, I started thinking about experiences, you know, I had had in theatrical stuff, and so I, I wanted to know, Roxy. We talked a little bit about this before we did the show, but do you have any uh, memories from like being in the theater with an audience and, and audience reactions and, and stuff like that? Totally. I mean, the the, the thing is. And this is so strange. I have really solidified myself as like the TV person mm-hmm. because TV hits me different. Um, growing up, we went to the movies all of the time, all yeah. the time. I was in the, uh, you know, my dad was in the rock and roll industry. So entertainment, very close. Um, we loved the movies. Um, my dad didn't ever, ever let us watch movies that were not in black and white at home. He liked like, the, the old school classics and he wanted us to watch so when we watched as a family yeah. um that or westerns so i did a lot of that growing up we went to the movies all the time there were three movie theaters in my town um wow. and so we just constantly were going and luckily i came up in a family that could afford the movie theaters so like that was the place to go that being said we were like my memories are of watching TV shows with, Mm -hmm. you know, I watched all soap operas and friends and all of this I watched at home. So for some reason, my whole life movies just haven't stuck with me the same way TV does. I think maybe because the amount of time you sit with TV shows, you know, um, or maybe the fact that like there's those TV shows that you kind of just like talk through a little bit, like Mm -hmm. you are learning and growing um, and talking about it with your parents. And that's kind of how you're educated about things. Like I remember the first time I learned about sexual assault was watching a TV show and like pausing and like talking um, to my mom about like what the fuck that was. Or like the first time um, 
that um, I learned about like true racism, like TV was that for, for me. So I always remember TV more, which is bizarre for somebody who's seen as many movies as I have. Mm -hmm. So my most poignant movie, the, the experiences of going to theater that I remember the most are from my adulthood. Uh, And I, I think that has been such a different experience for me in the last five years, as I've become a person who goes to screenings of theaters uh, of movies uh, because of our job, DJ, I'm sure you're in the same boat. And I, I will say that it is so vastly different than going with a a normal audience. I don't know the the right word to use there. You know what I mean? Like a paying uh, audience, the way they describe it is a paying audience, a paying audience as opposed to critics. Um, Because, critics react so weirdly to things Mm -hmm. so strangely um, because they're like thinking about how they're going to review something as opposed to just like taking in the movie. Yeah. Um, So yeah, most of my experiences have definitely been strange over the last few years. And also you kind of like are looking around to see how people are thinking. So I do remember that I went to a critic screening of a movie that I loved that was, was universally hated i think Classic. he has a 13 percent on rotten tomato um and that's dan fogelman's life itself mm-hmm. i've talked about this movie um before because i love the movie so much um and i will remember i, w- I was in the theater and there was maybe it was one of those screenings that was not at like the grove or century city it was one of those like screening rooms you know what i'm talking about yeah like, there's places that you go that there's screening rooms and it looks basically like an office building and then there's yep. just a there's just a big old screen in there, and um, it's oh, just a, a screening room. Pretty much a, any A24 screening I've been to yes, is that. Yes. Yeah. So it was a screening room, um, and there was maybe 15 critics in there. Yeah. And they were kind of spread all throughout, so it was very empty theater. And I was watching it with my, at the time, boyfriend. And you know when you can just tell, like, Nobody feels the way I feel right now. Yep. But I feel this. Mm -hmm. And I just won't, I I can't forget like the almost annoyance of the audience while I was like, this touched my whole soul and I'm sitting there and I'm crying and I'm feeling it and I'm relating to things. And like, I'm feeling like somebody has seen into me Mm -hmm. and has created a movie to like touch me. And I, I just that feeling of feeling like something is for you and not for anybody else. Yeah. And knowing that being in the theater and all these critics in there wanting to be like, well, this doesn't make sense. And like just feeling that energy of people wanting to like bash on, ready to bash on this yeah. and just being like, everybody get the fuck out of my bubble. Yeah. Cause this is my movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was one of the more powerful movie going experiences I had where I felt like protective over what it was that I was watching. Does that make any sense? No, it does. It does. And I think it touches on something interesting that I thought they were talking about. And the thing in that podcast is the way you can feel the energy in the room. You know what I mean? And so the 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 fact, and and I, I would imagine you're like me, that you can't quite articulate what it, the specific, the specificity of why you're able to tell the energy of the room is that way, but you can feel it you can feel like oh these people have turned on this movie like we can turn on it and normally that was like i remember we went to um a screening for the new hellboy and that was one where i was like i was with the audience i had turned on it with them like we were we were all in the same boat on that one. yeah it was 
a lot of laughter. That yeah. was a wild screening. Yeah. And, and so, um, uh, my experience like that is also at a screening room, but w- weirdly enough, going back to your earlier point, was was a TV show. Uh, we went to a screening event for the final episode of Game of Thrones, and um, and the episode aired, and where they played the episode, and I was like, you know what? It got turbulent near the end, but they landed it. Not not that that like it was necessarily what I'd imagine, whatever. But like pro- like I clapped, I clapped. I was like, you you na- you landed it. You know what I mean? You did not everything was perfect, but you you successfully. We, we things were getting rocky, but we landed the plane. I that was it. I was the only one that had anything positive, any positive feelings about um, the the way it landed or the way it had ended. Um, similar, I remember walking out of class, and Sam and I were in that screening. And we were like, "Yeah, we liked that." Like, no, we weren't. You know, it 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 didn't touch us the way that movie touched you. But we're like, "Yeah, we're into it." And then, but you could hear the critics around us, and like, "Oh, what." We're it. We're the we're the ones. We're, we're the only ones uh, yeah. here. Um, for me, listening to this conversation made me think of a couple things. One to touch on the the thing that had kind of been part of the news cycle with Joker. I will say, like, I watched it in the theater, and even though I had mixed feelings at the time about the movie, there was a palpable energy in the theater. Like when you say like it's a different experience watching that movie in a theater with an audience than watching it at home because I watched it again when it was on HBO Max with my wife and it was it was just different. It was just a completely different um feeling to the, just this this tension that was in in the theater when we watched that movie. Um there was also the weirdness about that movie that there was added security for the movie. Yeah. Um, the I think that one of the things about that film that was so wild is that we were all on such high alert. Yeah. Because um, of what had happened with the Dark Knight shooting and leading up to this and the threats that there was going to be an attack on the theater. Yeah. Uh, and I know that that's not specifically what you're talking about right now, yeah. but all of that kind of played into that that screening of that movie was I felt like we were all in something together. Yeah. Uh, like an us versus them. Mm-hmm. And then that idea played very well into the film. Yeah. So I, I thought that the movie was incredible, but unrelated to that, I felt like that movie going experience was so um, like my heart was pounding. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I want to sit on the aisle because I'm afraid somebody of what's going to happen here. Yeah. And then we're watching something happen and like the whole art imitating life. Like that was just like a, a very overwhelming experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, a couple positive experiences that I immediately thought of one, um, was fantastic fest. Um, there was, there was you a- and Sam have spoken about this for ever love fantastic fest love the experiences there's such a positive audience to be with but um i i got this on a smaller level one of the first years i went there was a movie um by uh uh, uh in in my first year called brawl and cell block 99 it was made by the same guy that did bone tomahawk um s craig zoller um anybody that's watched his films knows that he likes to if if Quentin Tarantino makes talking movies with with uh, uh, spurts of violence in them. 
This guy's like, wait, let, what if I make it even slower? But I I, I love his movies, uh, um, and specifically in Brawl, Brawl and Cell Block 99, builds to the titular brawl in the Cell Block. It, it sounds like a prison fight movie, like Michael J. White's going to come in and start spin kicking people's heads in. That's not what this movie is at all. It's it's more of a, a very uh, talky, pulpy drama, but it builds this fight. And once the fight hits, man, the audience was into it. Like, it was electric. On a much broader scale was this movie called the night comes for us um um starring a lot of the the uh key actors from the raid films um so if you're familiar uh with those movies you kind of know what you're in for but that was just um wall to wall balls out sometimes literally bloody action fight sequences that was like you could feel the electricity of theater like we were in it we were loving it like our brains were melting with what we were seeing and and it was interesting because it was a netflix movie Uh, some of the movies that go to uh, fantastic fest are actually netflix movies so in a couple months you can just watch them and so when it came out again i watched it at home and still i highly recommend it still love it but you couldn't capture it was like yeah it's like listening to a band live and like buying their album at at the concert and then playing it at home and you're like, Oh, this is good. But it doesn't match that experience of watching it live. Like that experience and just the crowd cheering and the way everything um, played out was just something that will be burned in my brain. And on the flip side of that, in a lot of ways was, um, so uh, I, Roxy, you probably know this about me at this point. I try to live my life very cheaply. <laughs> I don't, I don't spend money. I don't like a lot. I think a lot of actually what came the, 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 my critiques of films or my pickiness of movies came from being young and having to be selective about what I spent my money to go see. Cause if I was seeing this, I wasn't seeing that. So I had to make sure I was spending my buck wisely. So, um, my wife and I, uh, wanted to see the witch. Uh, we were trying to line it up with her schedule. We ended up seeing, I almost never do this. I almost do early, usually do earlier screenings to avoid again, spending money, um, do the matinee. But we saw at a, at this cheap little theater in Van Nuys at like 10 PM. Uh, so it's like, we're, we're going to be in this movie till midnight. Uh, I'm already tired. I'm flagging. I've had a long day. But I'm stoked. Got to get that caffeine, DJ. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't do coffee or any of that stuff. So I did whatever. I had to muscle through. But I'm stoked to see this movie. I've heard nothing but good things about this movie. I, 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 I'm ready for it. It's, it's so late. There's only a few people in the theater. But this one group of teens, about like 30 minutes in, kind of like drift in talking to each other. 30 minutes into the movie. And they're talking about this and that. And you can hear enough of their conversation that what I'm picking up on is that they bought tickets for one movie. And they're kind of drifting from theater to theater. And so there's that sense of like, oh, no, I'm going to have to deal with these guys as I'm trying to watch this movie. I just saw Baby Ground of Pulp, and now I'm going to have to deal with these guys and whatever. But something – they drifted out, and then they drifted back in. And then something interesting happened that kind, of, that kind of blew my mind is that at a certain point, they shut the fuck up. At a certain point, the mat, whatever was going on in that movie quieted down what it, because they were off on their own. They were doing – they are teenagers. They were doing teenager shit. And they started watching it. They watched, they shut up and watched the rest of the movie. And then by the time we left, they're like, oh, that was really good. And I was like, that's, that's incredible. That, that was the craft of that movie that these people that did not give a fuck got caught up in it. 
You know what I mean? We're, we're invested in, in what was actually going on in that movie to the point that like by the end they were invested with what was, what was going on. And that's another experience that I'll uh, stick with me for a while. The last one I wanted to mention. It's nice well, when people shut the fuck up and listen. It's, it's so nice. Um, Roxy, did you ever see mother Darren Aronofsky's mother? I'm I'm thinking you're not going to say positive things about this, but this would be wild if you do right now. Uh, I I actually like Mother. I actually okay, like okay. I actually like Mother. Um, uh, my wife and I um, saw it with Sam and his brother, um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the audience, including Sam, he's been pretty vocal about not liking that movie, did not enjoy it so much to the point where I think, if I remember correctly, Sam's brother walked out. Just fire, just pulled the parachute on that movie a lot. And have he was, you ever done that? Um, no, no, no. If I if I've spent money on something, I'm 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 writing out. I have done it on it something like Fantastic Fest, where you're seeing like five or six movies in a day, mm-hmm. and like uh, you're staying up late, waking up early. Like I might be dozing out on a movie. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bail. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. I don't care about this. But like if I've spent money to go see a movie, I'm sticking it out, even to the point where. If I'm watching a movie at home, um, I try to to watch the whole thing um, just because sometimes like, for example, uh, you watch a movie like Whiplash, which is actually another movie, positive movie theater experience for me. If you watch uh, Whiplash up, I enjoyed Whiplash throughout, but then you get to the ending and the ending elevates that movie to a whole other atmosphere. It Mm -hmm. shoots that movie through the roof. And so if you left that movie early, you didn't see the movie. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you actually don't know what that movie was capable of doing. You've got it. So my, typically for me, my mindset is I have to, I, I need to sit through this because this, even though, even if I'm not enjoying the movie now, by the end, I, I might be sold. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, but you were telling me, so Sam walked, uh, Sam's brother walked out. Yeah. So mother, mother was an interesting experience because people, they, they, the word, bailed on we're not feeling that movie and that was an interesting where the audience was was turning um on the film but we do have a few i'm not gonna be able to get to all these i want to thank everybody that sent stories and i asked you guys experiences you had with movies um so i'm just gonna hit a couple of these we got jake hafner uh, talking about so opening weekend for avengers endgame i go in i got go on saturday and obviously the theaters are mostly sold out but it's understandable uh the seat i get is the furthest row back Again, it's fine. I just want to see the movie. The theater is filled to the rafters with people. Um, again, this is understandable. I'm in between two people, and the guy on my left immediately says to me, it's exciting, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. 20 minutes of preview starts, which I personally love the previews. The guy next to me, uh, like two minutes in, starts talking loudly. Just start the movie. Uh, and now I hate with a passion when people talk during the movies. But again, we're all excited. Um, so I give him a pass. So this keeps going on uh, to the point where, uh, paraphrasing a little bit, like he sees, um, you know, when Hawkeye's family gets uh, vanished, that guy that's talking says, yep, Thanos got him. And Jake says, now, normally I'm very non-confrontational, but I just snapped at this guy in front of God and everyone. Thankfully, shut up, but it doesn't stop there, folks. My local theater was has reclining theater seats, and the same guy is sitting so awkwardly, like a five-year-old, to the point where he, uh, like every two minutes he's tossing and turning and making all kinds of noise and being very distracting. Uh, this unfortunately carried on throughout the entire film, uh, and I was so aggravated. The anger I felt that day was on a different level, I'll tell you what. 
So that was not a positive one. Uh, we got one here from Brenda. I'm going to take it back a little bit. Midnight premiere for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince was probably my favorite movie experience. Mm. We waited outside the theater for hours. Uh, and the business, the businesses at the mall I went to, uh, went to set up deliveries to the line. We sang and danced uh, to a very Potter musical and costume while we waited uh, for the movie to start. It was so fun. The theater was extremely accommodating, essentially hundreds of nerdy college kids living their nostalgic dreams for 10 and 16 uh, theaters. Um, let's see. Uh, Danny says his favorite movie experience was he did a marathon of the IMAX release of The Dark Knight Rises at Midnight. So I watched Batman Begins and Dark Knight all in one shot. Uh, I don't know if I could ever do one of those marathons. I don't know if I have the it's a lot. That would be a lot. It'd be a lot, especially the ones that are like we're going to watch the whole MCU uh, for three days leading up to Endgame. I was like, God bless you. Um, um, also for the premiere of Batman v Superman, I was invited to a fan premiere week before the release, and and we spent all day in theater camping out, chatting about, and the movie had a special intro by Zack Snyder in video. Um, ba ba ba. Zayrol talks about seeing Force Awakens opening night with his best friend. She wore fair like Princess Leia buns and tons of people wore Jedi robes with lightsabers. So a lot of stuff like that. A lot of fun people remembering um, fun experiences like that. Like before we wrap up, when it comes to stuff like that, Roxy, do you think it's stuff, experiences like that, that will, you know, because people are a lot of hand wringing about like the end of cinema, the end of the movie going experience. Uh, how do you think experiences like this will help movies going forward? With open arms, I think we're going to take back movie theaters and movie theaters are going to take us back. I think that we all. We all want to feel part of something. I know that I openly admit that I have severe FOMO and some people aren't as willing to admit that, but we've all got it. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a little bit of fear of missing out. So I think that this, this is what I think we're all going to suffer from. And I don't mean to use this phrase lightly, but a little bit of PTSD after this situation, Um, it's going to be weird to go back into the world, but being in a movie theater, watching something for better or worse and feeling something with an audience, that's going to be huge. So I know my last movie in theaters was Bloodshot, unfortunately. Um, what that do you might think? Do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it was Invisible Man. I've said that before. Um, I'm just going to imagine it was Invisible Man. Uh, what do you think our... F- wow, this is thinking way in the future, but what do you think our first movie going back... Is it going to be something like Bloodshot? Well, it's like, well, at least we're back. You know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't this movie, but hey, at least we're back. <laughs> No, because I don't think they're going to come back until it's a big one. Like, yeah. I don't it, even know what that's going to be. Black Widow. Um, it, could it be Dune? <laughs> well, Dune, I think, is not going to be in theaters. I mean, there, he's Villeneuve is, is fighting it. He's trying to make that happen. I know. Is it going to be M. Night Shyamalan's old? That that kind of surprised me in during the Super Bowl when that trailer came up and said only in theaters. I'm like, good luck with that. I know, I know. Uh, that's not going to be mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Um, and I don't think it's going to be all of us at once. I think it's kind of going to be a rollout. I think for the critics, probably they'll start doing like, you know, before when you would go to um, – I don't know, Century City, and they'd have like four different theaters playing the same thing for the critics because it would be one of those huge ones. Yeah. I think it might be like that, like where like it's every every other seat or more than that. Yeah. Um, 
kind of thing. And so we might have a few of those, but I don't know. I don't know when the next time that I'm going to like call a friend on a Saturday and say, do you want to go see a matinee with me? Yeah. I don't know what that movie is going to be. Yeah. Well, before we go, remind the kids at home uh, where they can find you and what they're up to, what they should be checking out. Everywhere at Roxy Stryer, every single day, youtube.com slash Roxy Stryer, live at the Roxy. Um, we are, today will be day 334, Jeez. making our way through the days. So uh, close. The World Girls on Wednesdays and Sundays. Um, we are, we've been doing a lot of food things recently where we just eat like a, an effing ton. This month we are supporting uh, local black businesses, so we are going to be giving sweets a whirl on and trying all different desserts and pastries and candies from different black businesses or black owned businesses. So we're excited about that. And also at the end of the month, we're giving waxing a whirl and that episode is looking incredible. So, and very bloody. Oh, there you go. Very bloody episode. There you go, kids. So make sure to check all that out. Who wouldn't tune in after that pitch? Exactly. Come on. You need to see. You need to see it. Uh, uh, you can find me at DJ Talks Trash every place that matters. You can follow the show at Only Stupid Answers, but on Twitter, yank out the vowels from stupid. Uh, you know what I think I'm going to start doing? What? When you talk about Only Stupid Answers, but it's not for on Twitter, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to say keeping the vowels from stupid. <laughs> keeping the vowels from stupid, but on Twitter. Yank out the mouth. So stupid. Boom. There it is. There it is. So be sure to follow us there. If you want to watch this full show, you can do that at patreon.com slash only stupid answers. Um, check out our WandaVision reviews on YouTube and all of that jazz. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.